my hope is that adversity would awaken us to what, what we're capable of and it would awaken us to what's worth fighting for. Hi everyone, I'm Annika and this is the Tried and Truth Podcast. Episode of the Tried and Truth Podcast. If you are tuning in for the first time, welcome. So glad you're here. If you've ever asked yourself the question, what does it look like to build a resilient life? Or perhaps just build resilience, especially in a day and age like today where we're just surrounded by so much overwhelm. Rebecca Lyons is here to share some insights and encourage you this week. I have personally followed Rebecca's work for quite some time and have just found myself in many elements of her story and her work around anxiety and emotional health. Perhaps you too maybe have found yourself there or might just find yourself there today. She's walking us through five rules of resilience that you too can use to thrive in difficult times. You're going to hear more on why um, we should surround ourselves with strong community and how adversity can actually awaken us to greater things in life. Take a listen to this conversation with Rebecca. Rebecca, thank you for joining us on the podcast today. I could not be more excited to have you on today. So thank you for being here. Oh, of course. Thanks for having me. So I have a pretty good feeling that a lot of my listeners are pretty big fans of yours and have loved so much of your work and your writing. But for those who may be new to you, can you share a little bit about who you are and what life looks like for you these days? Oh, of course. Yes, sure. Um, So honestly, I would say the last 13 years really was kind of my mental health journey began then. I was moved to New York city in my mid thirties with three kids, two toy poodles and a minivan, which isn't really (laughs) cool anywhere. Um, But yeah. And honestly, it felt like a midlife reset. It was very much in alignment with what my husband and I were doing, where we were helping people on the front lines of culture and arts or media, government, policy, education, who were people of faith. And they often felt alone in their industries and wanted to be connected. And so many of them came through the city. So we thought, this is great. This will be like an adventure, like you're going off to college, except with kids, which turns out isn't really a thing. And (laughs) I found within about four months of my time in New York City, I had my first panic attack on a plane. And it just continued for the next 18 months on trains, subways, elevators, crowds, rooted in claustrophobia, which is really tricky because there's 8 million people in the span of 11 miles in New York. So it's impossible to avoid those things. And honestly, uh, God just used that whole season to kind of awaken a calling, you know, honestly, like a new vocational part of my season as a mom and now working mom and a writer, a writer and a teacher. And honestly, you just don't always plan these things. You don't really pick your, you pick your story. God does. And, um, and so that's just kind of what I have. So for the last decade, I've been writing uh, books on mental health and faith, and I've been writing just as I'm learning quite frankly, and I'm a lifelong learner and love to read and research and help people. And so that's, kind of my joy professionally. And then personally, I'm a mama of four kids to have Down syndrome. My oldest, Cade, is 22. And then Joy, who we adopted four years ago from China, she's in third grade. So we are in all the seasons right now. I have a son, Pierce, who's 20 in college. My daughter's 18 and she's graduating high school in a couple weeks. Life is very full. It's good. Oh, life is full and so beautiful. I I am just so thankful, and I know a lot of my listeners are too, for 
for all the work that you have shared and talked about in your journey around mental health, emotional health. And I discovered your books in the last three years, and it was started with You Are Free <laughs> onto Rhythms of Renewal. And it was one of those seasons where I just couldn't put the books down. Wow. Because I felt like somebody gets me. Somebody mm. gets me. They're there. And I think it's something that we just need to talk more about. And I feel like the fact that you've invited us into your journey, I think is just so encouraging for, for people who are listening, who are going through seasons of anxiety or, you know, these cycles of maybe it's depression or panic attacks. I mean, we live in an overwhelming era in this day and age. And so I just want to start by saying thank you for for sharing, for sharing your journey and your story and inviting us into a little piece of it, because I think, you know, it's, we all need, we need each other and we need to know yeah. that we're, we're not alone in that. And so I personally am so grateful <laughs> for, for your books and your words and your story and has been super helpful to me. And so I am thrilled when I saw what you are coming up with next I was so excited. So I want to talk all about what's what's coming soon for you. Yeah. Well, this new book, Building a Resilient Life, comes out, you know, in just a couple of weeks. And and for whenever people are hearing this, it might already be out. It comes out early May. And honestly, it's you cannot write if you have not lived. And this was a three-year journey of finding my own footing with this topic of resilience. I thought I was really resilient. You know, I'm a firstborn type A control freak. I don't know if anybody else resonates <laughs> with that, but I'm like, we've done hard things and we can do more hard things. And then I just think, honestly, I think COVID and 2020 just took everyone to a different level of not because like logically it was like strenuous that like we were doing physical work, but it was more that we were just, there was so much ambiguous loss and it just didn't have an end date. And we were all kind of spinning out because we're not made to sit around on our hands and be isolated and not be able to affect change. We're not actually made that way. <laughs> we actually thrive. In fact, in past wars, like, like major wars, mental health rises during crisis. But this was the first time that mental health struggled and got far worse. And it's partly because we just had to function in a way that's not normal for the human heart to function when adversity hits. And so I really dug into that of, of like, wow, historically for centuries, healing from trauma has happened by being tethered to clan or tribe or community, or actually having regulating rhythms. You can go out and do things or a belief system where you can act and get together as a church and, and like draw strength from one another or fourth would be like natural hallucinogens or some form of natural medicines. Well, now we've reversed it all in our mental health epidemic and we're focusing first on medication and then on cognitive behavioral therapy. And then like down the list is regulating rhythms and community. And, and that's why we're struggling so much because historically we need those, for, those other things first. We really need people in our lives that we're not paying <laughs> to actually name the pain with those people and hold space for them and be trustworthy friends. And I just, I don't know. I just found that in my own struggle of isolation for a couple of years, my, my oldest son, Cade was struggling more than ever in his 22 years. It took me back to the trauma of his first year of life. 
And I was like, wow, okay, I really want to unpack what are the building blocks to recover resilience? Because resilience is not a static thing. Like some are born resilient and some are not like that. It's actually a learned thing. And it's on a continuum based on how you are demonstrating resilience by the building blocks that you've established in your life. Just like, what are the practices that you're doing every day? What are the new novel things that you're approaching that activate your stress response? But then people cheer you on and then you do well and then you retreat and then you go back and do it again. Like what is real resistance training? What is being tethered to one another? What is being vulnerable and inviting people in? These are all the essentials for resilience. Oh gosh, that's so good. So did you come up with just over the course of the the journey in these last three years, just some practical things? I know you share a few of these in your book. Um, would you be able to share maybe one of these, yeah. these life kind of changing roles for just living in this place where everything feels so uncertain, everything yeah. feels overwhelming and and I think it's important to note that not only do we want to build a resilient life, but I think as moms, we want to build kids that are building a resilient life too. Yeah. Yes. We need to raise resilient kids and confident kids. And the only way we're going to do that, trust me, I studied all this because I got Joy who had spent her first five years of her life in an orphanage. She was abandoned at four months at a police station. So I got to go, I got to go into the deep end of early childhood trauma and the need for attachment and what has to be repaired in her brain for her to build resilience. And so I write about that in the third rule, which is called embrace adversity. And it's all about growing incrementally and how to heal injured neurons in your brain through repetitive mm -hmm. regulating rhythms. It's like, wow. Um, but but I would just say what I like to do with every book um, rule, rhythms was like this is I like to create a framework of going like these are the five rules of resilience that I have found in studying like many perspectives. I kind of siloed them down to what I felt the scriptures were teaching us and what neuroscience was teaching us and what I just found kind of being a healing journey throughout like humanity. And so I just distilled this into five rules that you just kind of become building blocks. And so I'll just quickly out, like just name them. And then you could even decide what resonates with you because I even have a quiz now, how resilient are you? And it's going to be like, which one is really what you're doing and you're doing it well. But then like the other ones are like, ain't no way I'm going near that one. Right. <laughs> um, and so I think it's important to go like, this is where I'm strong. This is where I just do not even want to approach this. I don't even want to have that conversation, but that's so essential though, as you build this life. So the first rule is name the pain. And that's just very much what it is. We all store pain in our bodies and that's why we're acting out physically. And it's why we have anxiety attacks or panic attacks. It's like we have unresolved grief and trauma that has not got out of our bodies. That's why Body Keeps the Score was such a famous book. Um, it, it really demonstrated the physiological response to shame, to trauma, to grief. Mm -hmm. And because we just keep saying we're fine, we're actually not doing ourselves any good. We're not serving our bodies by pretending ever. And so the goal of naming the pain is just to get what's inside out so that you at least can see what you're working with and someone can meet you there and hold space for that usually in a clinical space, but I, I definitely like recommend friends doing this. Like there's a lot of free therapy out there in friendship and just being a, being a relationship of reciprocity where like, 
I can hear this from you. I'm not going to try to fix you, but I'm going to have a high empath towards what you're walking through because I thought I was the only one. And now it's like you too. That's how real friendship is forged. Like we have so much shared experiences when it comes to pain. So naming the pain is the first one, because if you don't start there, you cannot heal what is hidden and you might as well just forget the rest of it. So part of it is engaging in a rhythm of confession, getting honest and inviting others in, and just making room for uh, what's been stored to come out. And so once you do that, now you know what you're dealing with. Oh, wow, there's this traumatic moment from my childhood or this chronic trauma that I've experienced my whole life and I just wouldn't have had language for it till I start started to try talking about it. Um, and the second rule is to take that information and then shift the narrative because often things we store inside become really toxic and we always believe the worst version of ourselves as a result of those stories. Like if I was abused, I must not be worthy of love. Or if I was um, you know, avoided or neglected, the same thing, I must not be worthy of love. And then all of a sudden we act out and we strive with overworking or addiction or chronic this, that, or the other to compensate for the fact that we just believe we're not worthy of love unless we earn it. So this idea of getting honest with the root helps us shift the narrative. And so the, the narrative is just going back to go, okay, as a person of faith, what does God say about this? Like, what is the truth that sets free? But then also, how do I retrain my brain to respond yeah. differently when those lies come up? And so I take a lot of time talking about neuroplasticity, about neurogenesis, about like, what are practical ways we can retrain our brain? And that's one of my favorite um, chapters. The third rule, once you've started to shift the narrative, um, then all of a sudden you can turn towards pain. You can embrace adversity, not run from it. Why? Because you now feel like you, you've got a little more armor, like you're a little more equipped. And so instead of me running, uh, one of the chapters in that section is treat anxiety as a friend. Never thought I would write that chapter in a million <laughs> years, but now I understand that it's the friend that taught me resilience. And now when it returns, I know exactly what to do. And not only do I know what to do for me, I know how to help a lot of other people know what to do. And this is not like just Papa Xanax. This is actually what are the practices, the words you can say, the way you can respond with your body, um, how to see the, um, the trauma or the anxiety come over your body, let it flow through knowing that most attacks don't last more than five to eight minutes. Then all of a sudden you grow in confidence and go, oh, wow. It was really more the fear of how I felt with the trauma than the environment or the circumstances circumstances that surrounded it. And so we have to confront even our own fears of ourselves um, when it comes to anxiety. And then the biggest thing about anxiety is I, anxiety does not define you. It is not your future. It is just something that you've come up against. And so when you see it as an adversity, then the question is, what will this awaken in me so that I can now become stronger, more hopeful, and have meaning on the other side of this? Because pain always becomes purpose if you let it. So it's a good thing. I know nobody wants to hear that. It's a good thing <laughs> if you're willing to do, um, you're willing to confront it. I, I see anxiety was always my fancy word for fear. And I see it as a backyard bully that just grows if you avoid it. You know, fear just grows. So you've got to confront it head on and go, what is it that I'm so terrified of? And in fact, one of my friends said to me in the middle of this conversation about panic attacks, she goes, why is feeling trapped and powerless so terrifying to you? And I was like, <gasps> You know, like I just hadn't been asked that question. I was like, wow, okay, maybe there's something with the control. Maybe I didn't have a voice. Maybe, you know, um, 
even kind of the analogy of claustrophobia, which is what mine's rooted in, is like what metaphorically, where metaphorically in my life or my history did I feel trapped and powerless? And just kind of really inviting God into the center of that. When we can do that and really ask the Holy Spirit to give us some insights there, then I think he's ready to move. And there's like, there's just a new way of seeing it and not being intimidated by it. The fourth rule is making meaning how all that pain becomes purpose and you cultivate beauty and you work with your hands and you make good things. And it's just what we need for mental health. And then the last one is endure together because we are never going to build resilient lives alone. And it kind of pairs back to the first one of naming the pain. Like you just can't do it in isolation. So let's be historic people for centuries who've healed through being tethered to clan uh, or tribe uh, or community because if we can do that then wow um it's just when you really have true vulnerability and safety and um even purpose in community um you're gonna be just fine you're you know tethered with faith like you're gonna be okay like storms will come and good grief, you're gonna have storms without an end date. We lost my mother-in-law during COVID to COVID. Um, it was horrible. Um, there was real traumas that everyone endured in that season. And still, I just know it's, I was never alone and this is not the end of the story. Like death doesn't have the final say. And so it can change how I see resilience and how I see it as a teacher. Um, the adversity has become a teacher. I go back to James one, count it joy when you face trial. Why? Because that makes you mature and complete, lacking nothing. And while we're not going to be there fully, obviously, on the side of heaven, what we do have is a growth and a strength and a fortified faith that we not only <laughs> use to extend to ourselves, but we actually can have that for other people as well. Oh, my goodness. This is so good. I was hoping for one and you gave us all five. I just went for it. You just went for it. It's like a bonus. Oh, oh my goodness. Okay. Where to even start? I feel like this is so good because they kind of do all coincide with one another, right? It's, it's understanding and unpacking and in, inviting, and you kind of end with this piece of community, but you said it started with this beginning part of there's a lot of free resources, so to speak. Yeah. You have these people in your life that want to come alongside of you that are that true, um, you know, it is a, a safe zone. And it's so mm -hmm. interesting because I think especially with people who struggle with anxiety or, or depression, I have just found in kind of my own experience and journey, nobody says anything until somebody says something. Right, And then all of a sudden you realize you're not alone and you're all in this together and you're all kind of riding this wave in different seasons and different stages, but there's mm -hmm. something that happens when you, you go first, Yeah, when you go absolutely. first, you share in this place of, of community where people feel like if they're willing to share, this is safe. And so I just feel like for anyone who's listening right now, who feels like, I don't know if I have the safe place, I just want to encourage and maybe challenge you a little bit to say, but what if you went first and created a safe place? Mm -hmm. I just feel like there's so much um, richness in relationships that we are not, I want to say taking advantage of, but taking advantage of is, is kind of what comes to mind. I feel like we we get scared to share out of, of shame, out of um, embarrassment. We feel like our problem's not as big as their problem. And so if we share our problem, you know, it's we go to the comparison game again, and that's not what it's about. It's about doing real life and life is real and life is 
hard and challenging and there is adversity. And so just to really lean in to the community that we have, I feel like is such a great way that you've ended and started kind of walking mm -hmm. us through that. And I think one of the things that you said that just because it kind of triggered things for probably a lot of people is seeing anxiety as a friend, seeing it as a friend and, and confronting it. I think you're right. I think we want to avoid it because we take it at its surface value. And there's, there's a lot more behind that, that, mm -hmm. you know, it's, it's a gift to us. It's triggering something. It's telling us something yeah, is not right. Yeah. It's, it's a, a barometer. And, yeah. Yes. And allowing that teacher to teach us and, to embrace that rather than running to it and trying to band-aid it, I think is just a really, really good activity for us to just think yeah. about as we, we think about what does resilience look like? It, it looks into leaning into a lot more areas of our life. Yeah. It's quite frankly, resilience is getting comfortable with pain, not yeah. being like swallowed by it, but going like, this is just part of life. And it's not the whole picture, but it is humanity. Like people do die. I mean, that's real. Like our bodies are frail. And so it's more going like, well, with what we have today, how do we steward it? And how do we see the gift that it is? And it, it, all of a sudden life becomes really sacred because it is fragile. And it is an opportunity to steward and honor the day that we have. And it's not to guilt somebody because they're sad. Like, no a hundred percent, you should honor grief and loss. Um, and I honestly think that part of the reason we struggle so much mentally is because we keep suppressing real grief and loss. We, we suppress like appropriate responses mm -hmm. to pain. It is. Uh, and so when we deny our heart and we shove anger down, or we shove sadness down, or we shove loneliness down, or we shove, um, fear down, it's only going to come out sideways. So what I would say is like, honor your heart. Don't betray it. If someone hurt you, like sit with that and just bring it to God, bring it to a safe place as a trusted friend. Um, and then don't dwell on it. Like once you honor it, you honor it, you acknowledge it, you name it. Then you go, God, I'm just, I'm going to give this to you. Um, I'm going to ask for healing in my own heart. I'm going to ask for grace to forgive, even though this person may never ask for it because I just don't want resentment or bitterness to change who I am. And when you can really see it that way, you can kind of tackle each day head on by going like, what did I feel today? As I, as I rest my head on the pillow at night and maybe I just feel really, I don't know, shame, full of shame or insignificant, or I, I compared myself and I feel unworthy, like whatever those things are, I, I think the Lord's just like, bring it to me, just bring it to me and then lay it down. Um, um, the scripture is so clear about casting our burdens on him. And that's not like a one and done. <laughs> that's like every day, every day, every day. <laughs> and, and once you do it, leave it there. Right. I think that's the bigger thing. If we're honest about it and we really own it, we're better able to leave it there. It's when we pretend that didn't happen that it starts to fester inside us. And so that's just my greatest like encouragement to go like, it's not, there's no shame to feel the fullness of what you are experiencing because that's real and you're human and you actually are supposed to grieve and you're supposed to be sad. That's good. But then roll it onto the shoulders of somebody 
who can call like carry that for you because you're not meant to carry that alone and you're definitely not to, meant to carry it indefinitely. Gosh, that's so encouraging. Thank you for that encouragement. And he said, it's almost like we missed the opportunity to, to share it. We missed the opportunity to lay it at his feet and don't miss it. Don't miss it. There's yeah. an opportunity there too. Yeah. That is so good. Okay. So for each of your books, I'm sure you've probably had a hope that you had in, in writing it and in sharing that part of, of your story. I'm just curious to hear what's your hope for this book as people really open up the pages and embark on building a resilient life alongside of you. What's your hope for it? I just hope honestly that they just grow in confidence to what they're made of, what they're capable of, what's worth fighting for. You know, I just think God really did design us with his image as image bearers to be agency. Like in, in Genesis before the fall, like we were supposed to have dominion and we were supposed to like subdue the earth and we were supposed to name the animals animals and cultivate beauty. And I think what's happened is we've lost our our agency, like our real God-given ability to affect and redeem what is broken because we have now become the ones broken and we feel so shameful that we're broken, which is why I tackle that in chapter, in the first chapter of Name the Pain is I finally say out loud, I am broken and I'm afraid I will never change. And because I would never feel permission to say that out loud to my spouse, my husband, then all of a sudden I'm just like repeating this dance, like halfway, almost half a century. <laughs> and I was like, wow, when he met me there and just said, we're all broken, you're just more aware of it. <laughs> all of a sudden it just diffused the hot air balloon. I was like, yes. wow, that just literally took all the air out of this big secret that I've been harboring that I must be the worst of all, right? And honestly, when that happened, it just shifted everything. It shifted my journey toward resilience. It shifted my belief. It shifted my confidence in God and me as his daughter. And, um, and I think that's my hope. My hope is that adversity would awaken us to what, what we're capable of, and it would awaken us to what's worth fighting for. And it would just truly awaken us to what it means to follow Christ and join him in the renewal of all things and let, let God just do what he's going to do in you. And, and the way that he's going to do it, let him work in you. His whole heart is to heal like a hundred percent. Jehovah Rapha is healer. That's all he really wants. He wants your healing, not, and he wants it for your good and he wants it for his glory. So when we can give that to him, then all of a sudden we're deployed and now we get whatever measure of trial we've endured directly relates to the measure of hope we can offer the world. And so I'm excited. Like if we receive the healing, then we are free to set free. And that's what, that's what I hope. That's what I pray that this isn't some far reaching lofty idea that it feels approachable, that it feels tangible, practical, and that it feels believable that people are like, I really want this. And I believe it's possible. Oh, you're so kind to, to share to share part of your story, to share some of the tips, to encourage um, all of us today in where we are and in what's yet to come, the good and the hard, and just inviting us into that place. And so um, this has been so, so kind and, and so sweet of a time. Um, I would love to just end with a question I ask you on the podcast in just what does success look like to you? Oh my goodness. Being a fan at home. Like I just want I want to like be a fan of my family, you know, just love, 
just being around them, being present for them. I ha- I have to say, and my 13 years of like full-time working, I haven't been that every, every day, every year. And I would just say in these last few years, as I'm launching my kids, like, wow, it's just amazing to kind of just put it all in perspective. I have mother Teresa's quote on my wall in the other room that says, if you want to change the whole world, go home and love your family. And it's just Mm. inspiring to me every day as I get on a plane of once a week, maybe in certain seasons and talk about healing and mental health, the rescue of God. It's just like, hurry home, um, be exactly who you are on the inside that you are on the outside and make sure your people get that first. And it's just been, uh, now I'm just like, I can't wait to see my kids now. And I just did not think I would say that a few years ago. <laughs> it does help when that frontal lobe starts to develop a little bit more when they're out of middle school. So I'm just saying for all the middle school mamas, you just press on. It is going to get up. It's only going to get better from here. Oh, you've just reignited my spark too of just getting to see my my little ones too. And we have a cage too. So how fun, how oh, fun is that? I love that. I love that. <laughs> well, tell our listeners where they can find you. I'll be sure to post all this in the show notes as well, but would love for you just to share where they can follow along. Sure. It's just my name, RebeccaLyons.com, R-E-B-E-K-A-H-L-Y-O-N-S.com. And that's the same Rebecca Lyons handles for Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, you name it. I started long ago when we could still have our actual names. So I hope that's encouraging. I have a ton of free resources on my website for people who are just wanting to read a free chapter to check out the book. That's at RebeccaLyons.com slash RL book. It'll take you all things building a resilient life. And hopefully um, you could even put that in your show notes. And I hope that would be encouraging for people to just kind of test the waters. I know sometimes people are like, but then the audio books um, are always kind of fun. If you pre-order, you will get uh, the first few chapters of an audio as well. And I do think that's just kind of helpful for people who are used to podcasts that might not want to read, but really love to listen to a conversation. So I was glad and grateful to read the audio book again as well. Oh, well, thank you so much, Rebecca. What a gift to have you and cannot wait for our listeners to just journey into building more of a resilient life. So thank you. Thank you so much. Well, what a treat to have Rebecca on the podcast. I hope that you were encouraged and inspired by this conversation. If you have not already subscribed to the podcast, would love for you to do so so that you do not miss out on any more incredible conversations with guests like Rebecca. Um, And be sure to share this with a friend, someone that it might encourage this week. And if you've got 30 seconds left in your day today, would love for you to scroll down on Apple Podcast and leave a review or tap on the stars. That means the world to me. That's what helps this conversation conversation continue to encourage and inspire and equip others just like you. Well, in case you missed any of today's truths and takeaways, I want to leave you with those today. Number one, you can't heal what is hidden. It might be time to get honest and invite others in. We actually have so much shared experiences when it comes to pain. Real friendship can happen there. Number two, name the pain. Once you name the pain, you can get honest with the root and you can take that information and shift the narrative. And boy, oh boy, do we know how powerful those narratives can be. Number three, treat anxiety as a friend and embrace adversity knowing it does not define you. It is not your future. It's just something you've come up against. Number four, allow adversity to awaken you to what you're capable of and what's worth fighting for. Number five, honor your heart, bring out the truth and lay it at his feet. 
Number six, there's no shame to feel the fullness of what you're experiencing because that's real and you're human and you actually are supposed to grieve and you're supposed to be sad, but resilience is really about getting comfortable with pain because it's not the whole picture. Number seven, endure together because we are never gonna build resilient lives alone. And lastly, I love the quote she shared from Mother Teresa, if you wanna change the whole world, go home and love your family. Well, thanks for tuning in and until next time.